This is 3P Theory, the podcast for AEC professionals seeking to elevate their knowledge on green building strategies and practical design collaboration for sustainable mindsets, bringing you changemakers, innovators, and sustainable leaders who have positively impacted the industry. It's time to get inspired, motivated, and fired up to take action towards a greener planet. Here's your host, Mike Brown. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the 3P Theory podcast. Today's guest brings his experience in conducting retro commissioning, commissioning, energy auditing, design coordination, functional testing, and savings analysis for new and existing buildings. Experience in leading project teams and retro commissioning projects, particularly in retro commissioning investigation phase uh, through standalone logger placement, trend interval, uh, functional testing, system design evaluations, and even recommendations for development and energy savings calculations for HVAC efficiencies. Also lighting uh, related controls as well. Prior experience with multiple versions of CAD software and developing uh, programming and building modeling. Today I'd like to welcome commissioning agent and mechanical engineer Michael Fleming with Interface Engineering. Welcome Michael. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Well, definitely glad to have you today and um, you know, like most of my guests, I usually like to to start off with just getting an understanding of, you know, how you got where you are and, you know, kind of the journey up until now to just tell us a little bit about you. So my background was I obviously a mechanical engineering in school through a couple internships. I got experience in sort of the operations and maintenance side of things. I worked in oil and gas. I worked in car plants. I worked in a couple other places and just sort of got an experience for really the feel of out in the field and really how things operate, how things break, and how to make things work better. And that sort of guided me towards the role that I have now of commissioning. And a lot of it is really trying to figure out how things work, how to make them work better, and what happens when they break and how you get them back going again. So that's sort of my history. Originally, I started on doing a lot of retro commissioning on existing buildings. And lately, I've been moving a lot more into new building, new construction, and making sure that right from the beginning, buildings are operating at their peak efficiency and they can stay that way. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, and, you know, especially for both, both new and uh, existing buildings, uh, that's one of the key attributes to really being able to be able to capture those predicted savings, uh, especially, you know, when people are doing energy modeling very early on and try to understand predicted savings, uh, but really following through with that is key to, to maintaining that. Yeah, there's definitely a big market for it in existing buildings, but it sometimes is a little bit more difficult to justify, a little bit more difficult to convince ownership to spend money now to save money later when their budgets already have them spending that money. So new buildings, it's a little bit more straightforward, but the retro commissioning and recommissioning can sometimes be a little bit more of a, a challenge on the money side or on the business side. Gotcha. Well, taking a, a quick step back for some of our listeners that may not be as familiar with commissioning uh, in that process, uh, kind of tell us about what commissioning is uh, or what it isn't rather. So ultimately commissioning, the goal is to make sure that buildings, projects operate and are installed the way that they were designed and the way intended. It sounds like a very simple idea, um, but more often than not, projects will change throughout the life of the construction or the design process. 
And sometimes the end result will be very different from what was originally conceived in the very beginning of the project. So the goal of commissioning is to sort of get involved early in design and keep things on the same track and make sure that those energy goals, the operational goals, and just the overall goals of the project, especially focusing on sort of mechanical, electrical, and plumbing systems, but making sure that those stay the same and are lasting throughout the project and make sure that any value engineering, any construction changes, any site changes, anything like that, make sure that those same goals are still met throughout. So a lot of people will assume that commissioning is very heavy at the end of the project, which it no doubt is, but having that lasting connection throughout the project, making recommendations during design, during construction, and especially during the testing and the acceptance phase, it's really important to make sure that those goals are met. And that's ultimately what commissioning is. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, and I've, I've been involved on, you know, a ton of projects that have, you know, had commissioning, especially since the energy code is requiring it in many jurisdictions now on the new construction side. Uh, and then obviously if you're going after, you know, LEED or some other green building certification, uh, oftentimes that's a requirement as well. Within that process, I've also seen that involvement happen at different phases on the design side. Uh, in your opinion, when is the optimal time that, you know, some of the designers, uh, MVP engineers should start to, you know, seeking a RFP for to hire you guys, uh, hire a commissioning agent to get on board to kind of really get that, that ball rolling before they, you know, obviously issue for permit and things of nature to kind of catch some of those, those items. In a perfect world, commissioning is hired by the owner right at the beginning of the project. And as soon as the idea of a project is sort of started, the idea is having a commissioning agent on board to help create the document is called the owner's project requirement document. And a lot of that is just documenting really the goals of the project. I think on most meetings, those goals are sort of fleshed out during design meetings or things like that, but they end up being in meeting notes and or hidden somewhere else. And there's not a sort of central document that really documents everything that the project should be or that the project wants to be. So having a commissioning agent on board right from the beginning of the project helps to sort of make sure that these things are getting documented and make sure that the goals of the project, as I had said before, don't change too much throughout unless the owner agrees with the changes. And it's not just something that differs because of cost savings or anything like that. So ultimately, I would always say that commissioning should be involved as early as possible. But more often than not, that's not the case. And commissioning will get on a little bit later. But right now, most energy codes or whether it be lead or anything like that, will usually say the latest you should have a commissioning agent on board is by the end of the design development phase. Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely uh, one of our recommendations as well. It definitely helps create that cohesion. And I'm really glad that you brought up the uh, owner's project requirements. Uh, and then obviously to supplement that as well, the basis of design are really, really two key pillars to have, I guess, a successful project to make sure everyone's on track. And obviously designing to the standards that are, are meant to hit certain targets uh, and achieve certain design aspects. And so with that, I mean, you know, if you're brought on early, you could almost say that's one of 
the things in your perspective uh, would be an item for an ideal client, what are some of the other things if you were to describe, you know, your ideal client on the commissioning side, uh, whether it be for, you know, new, new construction or existing buildings? I think ultimately the ideal client is someone who really knows what commissioning is. I think too often, as you've said, with energy codes adopting and making commissioning mandatory in the eyes of many clients and many architects or engineers, whoever it is, commissioning is something that you have to do. It's a checkbox on a list, but no, not everyone really understands the value that comes out of it and doesn't always want to pay for a really good commissioning agent who can add value. Instead, it'll just be, all right, who can check this box for me? So I think the ideal client is someone who's really educated and understands the value of commissioning and is willing to spend money and really willing to have a commissioning agent who's going to be invested in the project as opposed to we just need to check this box so that the code will let us move forward. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I know that's that's often a challenge, you know, making that justification on those projects where if, you know, it were not required by code, you know, I I doubt very many of them would, you know, implement that that strategy, uh, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, it does help minimize their risk, right, to exposure in terms of, as we mentioned before, not being able to reap the full benefits, some of the energy operational savings, uh, but then also, you know, when we start to get into some of the envelope related issues and how that's constructed and understanding potential for moisture penetration and mold and things of that nature down the line, roof leaks, uh, all those kind of feed into that uh, process. And so within that, how do you guys really justify that ROI up front, or maybe what are some of the, the strategies or key points you talk to owners about? Well, I think one of the main focuses and one of the ones that's cited most obviously is just going to be energy costs. And as you said, that's what most people will associate commissioning with and why LEED really pushes commissioning. But there's a lot more beyond that. There's comfort. There's the cost of uncomfortable occupants, whether it be an office, whether it be a school, whether it be anything else. And especially in offices, there's that loss of productivity that comes with people that are uncomfortable in their spaces. And this isn't something that's usually thought of and not definitely associated with commissioning. And there's multiple reports out there. I don't know the exact stats from them, but I know some of them will say that productivity goes down by like 10% for every couple of degrees warmer someone is. Or, you know, if you have bad indoor air quality, then more people are off on sick days and things like that. So I think that productivity cost can far outweigh the energy cost in the end by having less productive employees when you consider the hourly rates that people are paid and having people out sick and things like that can really make a huge difference by having a system that's not working correctly, costing businesses hundreds of thousands of dollars in just lost productivity. So that's not something that's as easily tracked I know there are reports out there that will throw numbers at it, but those are the types of items that we try to think of. One example I have is we were working at a community college and 
our firm had designed it, but we weren't involved originally in the commissioning of it. And a couple months into the project, they were having tons of problems. Students were in there, but it was very warm. So they were after our engineering team and blaming them for a bad design. They were after the contractors saying that they didn't install it correctly. But we sort of came in and it's like, did anyone talk to the commissioning agent? And what are their reports? What are they saying the system was doing? And I got myself involved in that project. And one of the costs that they were having was now you had this community college and they weren't doing classes in the afternoon because the rooms were always too hot. So they had to completely change the schedule for this college, change the class schedule so that students weren't there during the hours that they knew it wasn't going to be comfortable. And they actually had some students dropping out of classes because they couldn't deal with the temperatures of the rooms. So right there, there was definitely a clear cut cost to the college by having these systems that just weren't operating correctly. So after we went through the retro commissioning or the recommissioning process, we were able to dial the controls in a lot more and make it so that the spaces were comfortable and that they could use it as they had intended to originally. Awesome. No, I really love that example. You hit on a, on a couple of things there that I think people should think about. I know a lot of times there's this assumption, especially on the thermal comfort side, that, you know, everything's going to be fine if the system's designed right, but that's not necessarily the case, right? So, Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things along the way that can go wrong, whether it be a change order or a VE process somewhere along the lines, whether it be a misinterpretation of what the engineer said versus what the contractor did. A lot of people involved and a lot of steps involved in every project, and each one of those can lead to just some slight deviation that all slowly adds up to a large difference in the end. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's good that um, you guys are are working on uh, educating clients about things like that and having those lessons learned uh, and sharing that with other folks, because I think that'll really open people's eyes to understand the importance that this really has. One of the things that I try to push the most is educating clients to hold their commissioning agent accountable. As I sort of said, it's very often when a problem occurs, it's blame the engineer or blame the contractor. But very rarely in my instance or in my experience has it been, well, what did the commissioning agent do? What did they test? What did it look like when they tested? So especially as I, because I work for a design engineering firm, we, I get involved in a lot of projects that I have no commissioning scope on, but that I know that our clients are going after our design teams and we come in to sort of help support the troubleshooting and help resolve the issues so that our clients will ultimately be happy with the project in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes what I see, it really depends on, uh, I guess, the project of the client in an attempt to try and have, I guess, the cost savings Obviously, in an ideal world, you know, you really want to have a third party be able to do the commissioning that's independent of the design team. They have no bias. However, I have seen some projects and some jurisdictions actually allow this. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but they allow test and balancing contractors to be able to do 
quote unquote commissioning for the project as a part of their process, you know, as added scope. What are your thoughts on that? And, you know, even sometimes people confuse test and balancing with commissioning and saying, oh, that's the same thing. Kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think there's pros and cons on both sides of the argument. And I think it's very, it's difficult to define what's really the best method or who should have that responsibility. I think ultimately you want to make sure you get someone who is educated and understands the project as best as possible and understands the role of commissioning, whether that be the engineer working for the same firm, whether that be the test and balance contractor, whether that be a third party, it really varies project to project. I know in our experience, we have found sometimes that commissioning our own projects does work to our advantage, purely based on the fact that we understand the project better than anybody else during the design phase and can carry that knowledge forward going through into construction and into the end. And if, as I've said before, if the client is going to come and blame the engineer, if there's problems in the end, then it sometimes helps to have commissioning who has that information. On the other side of it, being third party, you definitely do have that advantage that you can sort of have point out issues throughout the project and just be able to have a completely um, independent decision of it. But at the same time, you might, because you're a third party, because you're further away from the project, you might not know everything. You might not know the ha- background of the design. You might not know every change that's made throughout construction through all the RFIs, through all the change orders and things like that. So there's definitely a difficulty that comes from being third party as well. I've worked on a lot of projects on both sides of it that I've definitely found pros and cons. Ultimately, you just want to make sure that you have the right team and the people who are really most experienced and most invested in the project who are part of it. You can have third-party commissioning agents who will just show up at the end and say, okay, yep, here, that's good. Or you can have third parties who are involved from day one and heavily involved in reviewing every RFI and every submittal and really knowing every intricate detail of the project. So it really varies project by project. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I like that you pointed out the fact that having a, uh, a team that understands the project and really having that connection and also transparency but, um, when it comes to coordination and things of that nature, because you guys are probably better equipped or sorry, companies that have that in-house on the MEP side are probably better equipped to do that anyway, because they're able to probably price the project and the scope better than a third party would as well. Right. Uh, when it comes yeah, to- there's definitely advantages of having that full background information and really knowing every intricate little detail of it and being able to, I know for myself, I work for a firm that there is nobody stopping me from going to a designer and saying, what the heck were you doing here or anything like that. <laughs> so that would be frowned upon and there would be some third party or non third party commissioning agents who are trying to cover things up. And that's why I understand that the rules do exist the way that they do. But at the same time, I think the focus is just as much on getting the right people and the right people who are invested in the project. And that should ultimately be the goal. It shouldn't always matter who you work for or where you're, what your role is or anything like that. Gotcha. With that being said, 
you know, when you guys are competing against, you know, other uh, MEP firms or other third-party commissioning uh, firms, what are some of the things, and you mentioned a couple of them uh, previously, what are some of the things that owners should be looking for, or even design teams, because often, you know, it's probably the architect um, that is reviewing those proposals on behalf of the owner uh, and then making a recommendation. What are some of the things that they should be looking for in terms of understanding scope between, you know, multiple proposals in the RFP or experience or price? Because a lot of times it does often come down to price and there's not a lot of, unless, you know, somebody that's, I guess, more involved with the, with the process or maybe understands the commissioning process a little bit more and, and understanding what to look for, they may just look at price first and say, okay, well, and obviously maybe if they worked with them before as well in terms of a relationship, but what are there some other things think, that you should be looking for? I think ultimately it's how time intensive or how involved in the project um, a commissioning agent anticipates being. And I know a lot of times, Proposals will or RFPs will ask to break down your hours, how much is going to be for meetings and how much is going to be time on site and things like that. And I think you want a commissioning agent who's going to be invested and going to be on site, not just, okay, yeah, I'll do some call in meetings and then at the end of the project, I'll come out and test or, you know, things like that. So making sure that the level of involvement matches the complexity of the project. Some very basic projects don't need that much field involvement, but obviously a hospital or something that's quite more complex would need somebody who's going to be more invested and more have more time available to really be on site. Another thing to look for is also someone that understands whether it be the building type, whether it be a hospital, whether it be a school, whether it be an office, each one has individual different challenges. And also the types of systems that are involved in the project. On a mechanical side, if you just have a VAV reheat air handler system, then that's good. But if you have reheat, or if you have radiant heat, if you have heat pumps, if you have large chiller plants, then you would want to make sure that you have a commissioning agent who has experience in those systems. Otherwise, it's going to either cost them more money and more time to learn and test those systems, or they're not going to do as thorough a job of really being able to test those systems. Right. Yeah. Especially when, when uh, troubleshooting is involved. So I've had projects where, you know, some of those um, items on the issue issues log uh, have gone probably longer than they should have. Uh, you know, even if the building's already turned over and, and things of that nature. And so just understanding, you know, what those are and, ma- and I- identifying, you know, reasonable approaches to get those uh, resolved. Because a lot of times what happens, depending on the project, and also the, the kind of commitment involvement that the owner has with the the project in this particular phase, along with the contractor, and making sure that those things actually get done, right? I think you may have mentioned that before. And I think you hit it on the head as well. It's uh, what involvement in actual result and actually resolving the issues does the commissioning agent anticipate doing? I know there's some, some, in some situations, it's point out an issue and then, you know, call me back when it's ready or when it's been resolved. Or 
is the intent for the commissioning agent to really stay there and help troubleshoot the system. And that's a matter of breakdown in scope, depending on what the client's looking for. They might realize that they'll have to pay a little bit more for a contractor who's going to go through every step of troubleshooting, or you pay a little bit more for a commissioning agent who's going to sit there and help with the troubleshooting throughout. I've had contractors say to me, I'm surprised you're still here um, when it comes down to troubleshooting. And it's like in the past, we've had people who've just walked away as soon as they identified something and like, call me when it's fixed type thing. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I think that's maybe my own problem of I'm a troubleshooter and I like to fix problems and I get interested when things aren't working. But I think that's sort of something that a client, something that an architect or anyone who's making a decision on a commissioning agent needs to determine what they want out of their commissioning agent and then make sure that whoever they're hiring matches what their hopes and what scope they anticipate having for that commissioning agent. Gotcha. And I guess kind of one of the, uh, I guess, emerging strategies I haven't seen very much of this, at least on my end, with understanding building performance from an energy standpoint, uh, maybe even water as well, is getting into uh, energy modeling and how that may help aid the commissioning process, you know, outside of maybe doing calibrated models and measurement verification. I haven't really been involved in a lot of projects that have done that. I guess, do you have any experience or background in that, or do you see that as a a means of kind of helping that commissioning process or even a retro commissioning process? Yeah, I think it definitely is. And it's something that at Interface we have been really pushing lately and our commission in San Francisco office, at least our commissioning team and our energy team have actually, we've combined ourselves into what we've been calling the building performance energy team. And really the intent is to learn from each other. And when we have projects that we have a strong energy model on, it's useful to, once we get into occupancy, once we've tested the system, really use that energy model and compare it to what we're seeing and see if anything was missed. So one example that we have is we were working at a high school project that was going for net zero, high performance project for sure. And since day one, everyone's been happy. Temperatures have been perfect in the space. No complaints about temperature or comfort or anything like that. But one of the things that we've noticed, and we suspected it during the commissioning process, and now that we really have some energy data and we can compare to that energy model, we've been seeing that our hot water and our chilled water pumps from our multi-stack combined heat or peak pump chiller, we're seeing that we're getting the pumps are running a lot more than they're supposed to. Well, we built them or designed them to be lead lag. We have a lot of time that both are running at high speeds. So we were able to focus in on that using the energy model and realize that it's a problem area. And now we're still going back with the contractor, going back over the controls and all that to really fine tune it. Although from a typical project standpoint, there's no issues everyone's comfortable, everything's happy, control sequences are working as they're supposed to, but we were able to utilize that energy model and the information that we had from the commissioning to really be able to hone in on some of these extra issues. So we're trying to do that as much as we can with our new team and then circle around and take those lessons learned from the commissioning process so that 
our energy model on future projects can be that much stronger as well. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Really helping uh, complete that feedback loop. So that's, uh, that's, that's cool. Nice. Well, I guess in terms of some of the roadblocks and, and maybe barriers, what do you feel are some of the most challenging parts of, of your job? I think ultimately people <laughs> dealing with different people, different personalities, I think that ultimately is one of the most difficult parts of the commissioning process. I think none of the most building designs, it's not rocket science. It's very basic lessons, very basic theories and techniques that have just been slightly modified. But ultimately, you have air, you have water, you have hot water, you have cold water, and you're just trying to make things work. You have lighting controls, you have whatever it is in the building. They're not complex, really difficult problems, but where it gets difficult is you have general contractors, you have mechanical, you have electrical, you have plumbing, you have test and balance, you have controls, you have plethora of different contractors, different people, everyone doing their things, but ultimately there's one end goal and that's a successful project that makes the client happy at the end. And I think dealing with all those different people, all those different personalities, finding a way to really get everyone on the same page, moving towards that end goal can sometimes be the most difficult part of commissioning. Not being someone who comes in and points the finger at the end of the project and says, this is all wrong, call me when it's fixed. <laughs> getting, getting involved early on, building those relationships with people so that everyone realizes that the goal here is that we can all leave this project and not hear back because there's complaints months later, years later, or anything like that. I think in my mind, a successful commissioning project is one that I never hear from again because they're just happy. There's no problems. And everyone's able to leave that project and view it as a successful project because they're not hearing anything about it anymore. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, and I mean, obviously getting getting happy calls is nice, but I don't think many people get those. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, um, a couple other items I want to hit on um, is you know there's a lot of a lot of uh, building integration uh, starting to emerge, um, specifically with the Internet of Things or IoT. Do you see that having a benefit for commissioning and how do you see that being integrated into the process? I and mean, probably more so for new construction, but I can see that there's potential for existing building as well. Yeah, I think it's it's amazing to see how much control, how much detail, how many different sensors there are in buildings now. Even just focusing on the mechanical side of it, it was not that long ago that having sensors on the discharge of every VAV, variable air volume box, didn't exist because it was too expensive. But now the cost of adding extra little sensors here and there has just made the detail available so much more in depth than it was before. And we're actually working with a firm. They're based out of Sacramento. I think at this point, they're only working within the state of California. But they're trying to create a control system that uses artificial intelligence to learn from the building and to really be able to utilize 
all the plethora of sensors within the building, plus weather data, plus everything else that they can get to predict when a room is going to get hot or when the room is going to get cold and preemptively react to that beforehand as opposed to reacting after the cold call or after it's already gotten too warm. And then it's more expensive. It's more difficult to counteract that change in temperature. So we're sort of seeing that as the future of one of these, the directions that the industry is going by using more monitoring-based commissioning and using more artificial intelligence or at least just knowledge of the building and past history to be able to predict and make just improvements upon the sequence of operation and continuous improvements on the system. There's other systems that are able to predict when equipment is going to fail based on seeing drops in efficiency. So I think it's quite amazing what can be done now and amazing to see the real effects that come out of it and the energy savings, the maintenance savings, the comfort savings that really come by being able to be ahead of it and be proactive as opposed to reactive, which is the way that I think most controls and maintenance and operations teams are. Yeah. Yeah. It's really going to be very important aspect as we start to kind of look at some of the adaptable facades uh, and things of that nature to be able to understand how that impacts uh, thermal comfort and some of the operations and, you know, ultimately being able to integrate some of those controls with, you know, things like um, uh, room scheduling and for conference rooms and certain spaces within the building uh, will be key because at the end of the day, all that's coming together to really improve the occupant experience, right? And hopefully creating a, a happier tenant. Uh, in the case of an office building, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's tons of information out there that really is available. And I think you mentioned it very specifically, like conference rooms don't need to be comfortable all the time, but they do need to be comfortable when people are going to be in there. And Knowing how many people are going to be in there can really help the system react or, I guess, be reactive before and be proactive, I guess, to really make sure that the room is comfortable, whether it be through natural ventilation or any of those kinds of things with the building facade. I think there's a lot of amazing things going on and probably a lot more amazing things to come that aren't even on the radar yet. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Well, I know some of our listeners, um, you know, maybe in the mechanical field or just MEP field or even in a similar field, where they may have an interest in potentially moving into commissioning. What are some of your recommendations for, you know, someone that may be interested in getting into that field? I think commissioning, there's a lot of different ways to get into it. I know a lot of commissioning agents were previously design engineers. A lot of commissioning agents were previously test and balance contractors or controls contractors. I think anyone that really has that desire to be out in the field, to be able to see projects as they're going up, but really has the mindset of wanting to troubleshoot and problem solve. I think ultimately that's the most important concept of the most important aspect of the job is just being able to recognize when there's issues, being able to help problem solve. 
those are really the people who should go towards the commissioning side and I think would really enjoy it. As to how do you get onto the commissioning side of things, I think it really just comes down to having that interest. I know a lot of engineering firms will have commissioning departments. A lot of test and balance contractors will have their own commissioning departments. And there's also a lot of standalone commissioning companies out there. I think for a long time, there's been a discussion about whether someone as a new grad should go directly into the commissioning role and or whether commissioning agents have to be the most seasoned, experienced employees out there. And I think, once again, there's no real set decision on that. I think you can be trained and really learn to be a commissioning agent from day one without having design experience or other field experience. Or if you already have that experience, it's definitely an asset and definitely a plus for becoming a commissioning agent and making that switch over. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the last thing I want to point on is not necessarily about commissioning, but um, really getting to, to know you. Um, so, you know, when you aren't in the field, what do you enjoy doing for fun? Uh, at the end of the day, I like to be outside as much as I can. So I think I try to do three or four triathlons every year. So I'm on the bike, I'm running a lot, I'm swimming a lot, things like that. If not out hiking with my girlfriend and our dog or, you know, anything like that. So it's just, Outside, enjoying the fun, enjoying California, and we get amazing weather for most of the year, so it's definitely a plus to be able to go out in the middle of December just as much as you can in the middle of July. So. <laughs> no, I'm definitely definitely jealous of that. Wish I had more of that here in Dallas, but um, <laughs> I've been out there a couple of times, and it is, as you mentioned, very, very nice. So. Yeah, it's definitely an advantage of being out here, so I can't complain. But I do miss the snow every once in a while. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, um, well, definitely thanks uh, for joining us again on the show today. And uh, I know we'll we'll be in touch, and um, you know, hopefully we can work on some projects here pretty soon. And uh, what I'll do is I'll uh, share some of these resources that we talked about with our listeners on our website, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Perfect. Thank you. Thank Talk you. to you soon. Thank you for listening to 3P Theory with Mike Brown. If you like our show and want to know more, check out 3Ptheory.com or please leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Join us next time for more insightful knowledge on high-performance building design.